Welcome to What I Meant to Say Was, a weekly podcast from Canon Church where we explore, apply, and sometimes clarify the message that was preached on Sunday. I am Heather Jalad, Community Engagement Pastor here at Canon Church, and I am here with Lead Pastor Tim Emmett, who preached this past Sunday as we continued our sermon series, Wish You Were Here, that we have been preaching through this summer and talking about the presence of God in all of the places that we are. And this past Sunday, Tim, you preached about God being present with us in the wilderness. So, and your text was from Matthew 4 and Jesus being sent into, led into the wilderness by the Spirit. So why this particular passage of Scripture? Yeah, so um, I mentioned Sunday there were there were other stories, of course, that we could think of, Moses especially being in the wilderness and meeting God in the bush uh, that burned without being consumed. But um, for me, the story of Jesus in the wilderness um, really doesn't just launch his ministry, but then also sets this precedent of Jesus withdrawing to the wilderness. I mean, in this case, he was led there by the Spirit, but throughout his ministry, he'd engage with the crowds and then withdraw to lonely places, deserted places, empty places, go out into the wilderness, into the desert, or up on a mountain, um, uh, which would be a wilderness kind of place uh, in that it was not something, a place where people were, were dwelling. So I wanted to tap into that pattern in the Gospels, mm-hmm. and then that's kind of connected with other wilderness uh, journeys in Scripture, uh, speaking especially not only of Moses, but of God's people after the Exodus, uh, wandering in the wilderness and encountering God there. And I loved how you started the message by talking about uh, the, what is it, the Brid- Bridger Wilderness? Yeah, the Br- Bridger Wilderness area yeah. in Western Wyoming. Loved it and read the comments about um, basically people not wanting to be uncomfortable in any way shape or form right. um you right. want to share some of those for anybody yeah, that maybe well, missed that <laughs> try to remember some of them right so the bridger wilderness area for those of you who may not have been with us on sunday is a vast area in western wyoming it's got seven of the ten glaciers in the lower 48 states um i think it was 1200 um you know lakes and and ponds um 600 miles of trails it's one of those places where you can go and see all kinds of wildlife see these um peaks you know see the rocky mountains see a glacier and yes um some of the comments that the staff at the at the bridger wilderness area received were things like there should be it would be great to have a mcdonald's at the trailhead or there should be a chairlift in this section or please you know redesign the trails so that there are no uphill climbs times. Um, really kind of bizarre, absurd comments. There was one about the the bugs were bothering them. Could you please annihilate all of them? Or the coyotes howling kept us up. Yeah, can you eradicate these? Can you these? eradicate them, right? So we want to see the sights, but we don't want to be in any way inconvenienced. And I think the vast majority of us would never write comments like that or even necessarily have those specific expectations. But it still is the case that we want to be convenient. We want to be comfortable and um, sort of catered to at the same time. And, um, and of course, that's not really how life works. Um, although we're sort of conditioned to think that we should always, you know, be be served and have our desires met immediately. Yeah, and when you, I mean, when you were when you were preaching this whole idea of of being led into the wilderness, I kept thinking about. 
uh, past Advent sermons that I preach, right, St- starting with John in the wilderness, and you you spoke to John the Baptist being somebody who you would have expected um, by virtue of his heritage to be in the temple, and right. yet here he is out in the wilderness. And, and I thought of um, a, a particular sermon that I preached a million years ago that started with, no one walks into the wilderness willingly. Hmm. And and yet you kind of lifted up some people that have across, you know, and, uh, you know, my heart was strangely warmed when you talked about um, Anthony. (laughs) I love Anthony, which you can talk a little bit more about. But but yeah, this whole idea of being um, in uncomfortable places and kind Mm -hmm. of places of um, uh, that are a crucible to some Mm -hmm. degree. Right. To where. you know, if we actually choose those places, that's that's a whole nother level. Um, like we see Jesus do, like we see John the Baptist do. But um but for like the people of God that were actually um led through the wilderness by yeah. Moses as yeah. well, it was it was this in between space between what was and what was yet to meant to be went yet to be. Mm-hmm. And they kept even looking back to, you know, you can get people out of Egypt, but you can't get the Egypt out right, of people. Right, <laughs> and right. so it became this place of refinement and connection and relationship with God. Um, so, you know, I think you really spoke to that a great deal over the course of your message as these places of, of wilderness, whether we choose them or not, can be those places. Do you want to say more about that? Yeah. So um, I sort of touched on this. I didn't go into as many details as I could have, that John's location in the wilderness that he was in, and then where he did his baptizing, was so filled with symbolic weight for the people of Israel. I mean, they entered the land of promise right around that area of the Jordan River. Um, It's one of the areas kind of along the sort of southern end of the Jordan. Um, I mean, we don't know for sure, but I'm convinced by the scholars who think, no, it was really probably on the Jordan near... kind of that travel, that that road that led from Jericho um, to Jerusalem, but obviously Jericho's in the Holy Land, but there are there are other places to the east of the Jordan that people would have been traveling from to get to Jerusalem, and they would have crossed the Jordan, right? There was a known ford, right? There was there, a known yeah. ford, right? It makes sense that John <laughs> yeah. would have been there. But um, I, I find it very powerful that he positions himself there. He's calling the nation to get back to God. He's he's announcing that the kingdom of God has come near. And well, how do you begin again with God? Well, you go back to the place where we entered the land of promise. Mm-hmm. We go we we go on to the edge of civilization and we and we touch the wilderness and we pass through the waters and just that's incredibly powerful like that was not uh, that was chosen deliberately and I kind of love how there's a practical element to it hey there are a lot of travelers if I want to get a message out like mm-hmm. this is the social media of the day right the, there are all kinds of people passing through mm-hmm. that forward um, but that it's also filled with that kind of that kind of spiritual and theological weight this is where we got started with God or at least it was a beginning point for us and so um, I think because the people were delivered from their bondage in Egypt and became kind of recovered covering polytheists at some point, getting to know this God who had named them and claimed them, created them through their wilderness wanderings. There's a sense in which they were really a people formed in the wilderness and then yeah. they entered into the land of promise. And so as perilous as it is, as frightening as it is, the desert kind of always beckons. That's that's a reminder of who they really are and whose they are. Yeah. And the, and this whole idea of, of 
you know, the the people of God, Israel, being sent into the wilderness, um, uh, uh, and in Deuteronomy where it says, you know, that that God sent you into to the wilderness to see basically what was in your heart. Yeah, and and so it is a place of like a crucible or a refinement, right. and um, and you know, uh, certainly uh, scholars could argue, and 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 many preachers have made the point of, you know, the people could have gotten to the promised land a lot sooner, but right. Egypt was still needed to be refined out of yeah. the people to some degree, yeah. and um. And of course, what what couldn't happen, what took forty years to happen in mm-hmm. the old Old Testament, Jesus accomplished in in forty days, and mm-hmm. was the fulfillment of right. those things, right? Yep. And 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 was was uh, tested and found um, able and right. more than able. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> yeah, which is another reason why the Spirit led or yeah. drove in the language of Mark's gospel Jesus out into the wilderness because he became the covenant partner God had been seeking and had yet to find. Um, right. He succeeded where Israel had failed. He succeeded where Adam and Eve had failed. Mm-hmm. I mean, he mm-hmm. was faithful um, uh, 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 when faced with temptation. And so, yeah, it's like for so many reasons, he needed to go out into the wilderness. And so, you know, and one of the things that you kind of um, uh, kind of closed the sandwich of this message with was this this whole idea of of Christendom or um, the the religion of the empire that um, you know that that we talked a little bit about on on Sunday as well and and how that kind of changed the the face of the church right and um, and this this small movement of of people that were persecuted and um, dispersed um, then became much more or kind of the norm right. and and you know uh, uh, to some degree maybe um, domesticated in a lot of ways right <laughs> the wilderness was yeah. taken out of it you know yeah. yeah well and it's interesting um a couple things there one is i didn't when i really first was thinking about this text and this message in the context of this series i wasn't thinking about going there in terms yeah. of our actually already being in in a wilderness mm-hmm. um i was thinking instead about solitude um as one of the disciplines of the spirit one of the sort of core prayer practices of our faith, um, how that creates a wilderness for us just by going away uh, by ourselves, wherever that is, to be alone with God for a lot of us is a frightening prospect. Mm-hmm. Um, in our society, our culture does not encourage solitude, yeah. um, and we're uncomfortable with silence. And um, Henry Nouwen, um, in one of his books on desert spirituality, talks about solitude as the furnace of transformation. Mm-hmm. That when we're when it's just us and God, then we find out if there's much to us and God. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was th- really thinking about stressing um, solitude and silence. And in fact, the next steps that are in our bulletin for people to kind of work with this week, that is where it goes. But the longer I kind of was thinking about the passage and just kind of our our own place in so many ways today, it really struck me that, yeah, we are in a wilderness because we're in a, tra- a time of transition um, mm-hmm. where th- for many people, the world does not make sense and it's chaotic and it's yeah. frightening and it's unnerving. And, um, you know, many people really just want to go back to the world that they knew and understood mm-hmm. and they'd like laws enacted to f- make that happen. Um, 
And, uh, and so that, that really struck me. And then, yeah, I did also want to talk about the fact that the world we miss, long for, is not a necessary habitat for us. It's yeah. actually kind of, it's more common for the church to be a minority presence, yeah. um, to be a contrast society to the broader society. We have thrived as a minority. And yes, um, Constantine becoming Christian and then mm-hmm. Rome eventually becoming officially Christian. There's some upside to that, right. but there are a lot of temptations that come. And actually it that it is its desert in its own way, yeah. and that now we're tempted with with power and self service yeah. and privilege. And John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, he thought he thought the conversion of Constantine uh, was a travesty mm-hmm. for the church because mm-hmm. it, 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 he was focused on the on um, wealth flooding into the church, yeah. and then becoming a bishop, <laughs> becoming yeah. an archbishop, became a career goal, mm-hmm. and that just introduced all sorts of terrible things into the life of the church. So yeah, I do, I feel like um, it's okay, it's understandable if we're kind of grieving when the world is chaotic and confusing, but at the same time, I also want to say it's okay to, yes. to, to not, yeah. like, that's okay. The church can survive. And the reality is, in terms of human history, every few hundred years, yes. things get dramatically realigned and right. transformed. We've been through this. Every time people freak out, mm-hmm. understandably, right. Christians in particular think this is the end, yes, <laughs> that right. we cannot possibly survive this transformation. So either Jesus is going to come back or there's going to be a huge revival and we're going to be saved from this change. That usually doesn't work out. Well, it doesn't work out right. that way, right? Right, right. right. And so, um, you know, the the Roman Empire fell, and the church survived. Yes. And the Middle Ages came, and then you had the Renaissance. The world just keeps changing, and but the transition times are destabilizing and disorienting and kind of frightening. Right. What would it have been like to to live in the world when you have you know when you have everything that's happening with um, with Constantine, but then you have everything that's happening with um, the 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 Orthodox Church splitting from the Catholic right, Church, right. and then you have the Reformation, right? And so you have all oh, yeah. of these major changes and upheavals that feel like, what in the world is going on, and how do we how do we proceed? And um and 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 I remember being in seminary, and my it was probably my first semester in seminary, and one of my professors asked me, was it a good thing that Constantine became a Christian? Right. And you know, people like really wrestling with that, and you know, my, I I. I certainly came to the conclusion that it wasn't a good thing. Right. Um, you know, I, I certainly, you know, maybe advanced the the gospel and the, the the growth of the church in some in some ways, but I can't help but wonder um, what the church itself would look like today if that had never happened. Right. If the gospel yeah. was still being planted around tables and neighborhoods and you know marketplaces and whatnot, and and mm-hmm. how different the church would look today, and and yes, there is hope for the future because of that, right? Yeah. And um, this too, this too shall pass, or you know, the yeah. every ending is a new beginning, and all of those, <laughs> all of those things as we um, look at the, the the narrative of scripture across time and history. Um, so, if you had to sum up your message in like one sentence, what right, would that be? Right. So, the sentence I used Sunday was um, that the wilderness is a, a chaos filled with promise, um, and 
And so I, I think that's true. I, after the fact, I thought, you know, I could have also said that the wilderness is an emptiness filled with promise mm. um, in the sense that wilderness time is often a very rich time um, because it, it really does, or at least it has the potential to free us from distractions um, so that we can be centered on God, recentered on Jesus, which is why Anthony and others went out into the wilderness. Right. Uh, it was to it was to seek freedom from distractions. It was to to really cultivate sort of a single-hearted devotion to God. Um, however, and, and the harshness of the landscape kind of was the point. It was to right. strip themselves of of everything else so that they really had no choice but mm-hmm. to depend upon God and be centered on God. And it really, one of the things I didn't get into is that there is this history of seeking out difficult places. Um, going back to your comment about no one seeking the wilderness, well, Christians have, like, they have sought out the wilderness. And so in the early the early Christian monasticism did seek out the deserts in Egypt and Syria uh, and Palestine. You had the Essenes that, right, yeah, that and, went out. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. pre-Christian Jews groups also mm-hmm. did the same thing. But then we have this other tradition kind of later in history with Greek Orthodox Christians going up on mountains and creating these monasteries and these mm-hmm. really bizarre remote places with mm-hmm. the same intention. Mm-hmm. We want to get free of the world around us so that we can focus on God and then be, and, and this is a thing, then be some good to our neighbors. Mm-hmm. It was never about just escaping from the world to hide away from the world, but it was to be useful for the world. Mm-hmm. And so I need to I need to be centered on God and dwell with God, and then I'll be a truly, you know, rooted, grounded, healthy person. I'll have something to offer the world mm-hmm. around me. Uh, Russian Orthodox Christians have gone into the forests. I mean, mm-hmm. they've gone into the woods. They've dwelled out in that kind of a wilderness place for the same for the same intention, with mm-hmm. the same purpose. And all of this can be twisted, and it can be about just running away running from the away, world. Yeah. It can be about just getting caught up in yourself, and um, the world can go out into the desert and, and up on a mountain and into the forest as well. And I've read some monks talk about how worldliness enters into the monastery, and there, oh, you know, sure. right. Yeah. So before I became a monk, I tried to drink my friends under the table. Now I try to fast my brothers <laughs> under the table. I want to be the best mm. at fasting and everything yeah. else. And, you know, and, and so there, the place itself is not the thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so in any event, so we're in this transition time, we're in the wilderness where the the uh, Christendom world has died or is dying, mm-hmm. uh, and yet that is a place that is a time filled with promise because it does pr- it does provide the opportunity for us to to be really focused on Jesus in a way that is more challenging when it's just kind of the thing to be mm-hmm. Christian or everybody goes to church, right. everybody has a church, right. everybody goes, you know, all my friends do it, and we can just kind of go with the flow. But there ain't no flow to go with right. anymore. Right. So, right. so it really, I think it's it's a in some respects easier to, for this to become real and concrete and personal. Yeah, and and to your point, I mean, you know, as as the Christendom um, uh, of reality kind of begins, you know, it continues to disappear um, and change and and be transformed. That that whole idea of power mm-hmm. over yeah. um, uh, goes away with it. And I mean, if we look at the life of Christ, there was no way that he wielded his power in any way, shape, or form. There's no way that, um, you know, that that I can read scripture and say, you know, that that power is a way to go. His power, his power was all about um, surrender and submission and um, 
self-donation. I mean, mm-hmm. that's where that's where power. Yeah. That's where the real power came from. And um and and yet this this whole Christendom mindset that most of us have been formed in um on the other side and yeah. um and 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 it can be very uh disconcerting and chaos is a good word i think that describes <laughs> the last number of years very very right. well right um now i know you had some things listed in the bulletin that you mentioned as far as like application and next right. steps is there anything that you wanted to lift up specifically out of there except you know you said solitude and silence yeah, yeah so you know. um really just an invitation to practice solitude and silence in in sort of if it's new to you um not being too ambitious not bite enough more than you can chew. Uh, lots of people have an experience with maybe a daily um, a devotional or something like that, but few of us really do practice silence. Um, to kind of center ourselves with some deep breathing, um, maybe, you know, kind of rehearsing, repeating to ourselves a, a, a verse from scripture, be still and know that I am God, and then simply sitting in the presence of God without saying anything, yeah. without thinking anything, yeah. with really no intention except to be present to God. Um, we're not used to that. For us, prayer for the most part is us talking to exactly. God. It's not lis- us listening for God. Um And we forget that prayer is communion, not just communication. And so wanting to just be present to God and God will do with that whatever God wants to do. Yeah, and it's, it's two-way communication, it's two-way, right? Yeah, right? And so, yeah, you're right. I was going to say that. We, we often think of prayer as a place where we're just talking to God, but right. not allowing God to speak to us. Yeah. And so really that, that practice of being quiet right. and listening is, is super hard in yeah. the world that is so busy and so noisy. Yeah. Um, and to, you know, maybe start by doing it one minute a day and then work your way up to five and then, you know, see kind of where that goes. Yeah. And I think, um, a couple things. One is, uh, some of the people at Canon have heard me tell the story before. My first class in seminary was on the Christian spiritual life and the professor, John Westerhoff, um, ended that first session with two minutes of silence. And I can remember the confusion in the room as we were all trying to understand what he meant. And some of us said, you want us to pray silently? No. (laughs) I don't want you thinking anything. I just want you to be still and silent inside in the presence of God. None of us had ever done that before. Mm. And I remember that was two minutes that felt like forever. Mm. Um, And we're just not used to to that at all. The other thing, and again, lots of folks have heard me tell the story. One of my favorite Mother Teresa stories, Mother Teresa of Calcutta. She was interviewed by Dan Rather one time, and he asked her, when you pray, what do you say to God? And she said, oh, I don't say anything. I just listen to him. Oh, well, okay. Well, what does God say to you? Well, he doesn't <laughs> say anything. He just listens to me. <laughs> and rather was just baffled by that response. I'm not attacking him. I think yeah. a lot of us would be baffled sure. by that, right? Yeah. And so he just kind of moved on. But she was really just in her own humorous kind of intentionally or not mm-hmm. way pointing out this whole other dimension of prayer, of communion, of just being with God, present to God, open, and also as Americans, right? Like, I don't have to accomplish anything in this yeah. time. Like, it's prayer is not primarily a to-do list. We may have prayer lists, but it's okay just to rest in the presence of God yeah. and breathe deeply and be open. Yeah. <clears throat> is there anything that you didn't say or maybe a rabbit trail that you may have led us down if you had the opportunity? 
right. So uh, my sermon was almost twice as long as it should have been. <laughs> so yeah, there uh, um, there probably are some things I didn't really need to fit into that sermon. Um, that's the peril and part of working from an outline in my head, which is how I preach and not so much from a manuscript. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes in the act of preaching, I get carried away yeah. on something. Yeah. Um, this is a, a text and a sort of topic that goes down lots of trails mm-hmm. for me. Um, so yeah, I don't know that I needed to go into the temptations of Jesus and how we face those same temptations mm-hmm. today, but mm-hmm. maybe that was helpful. I'm not really sure. Mm. So yeah, I can't say there was something I wish I would have put in because it was already way over time and and uh, and tested everyone's patience. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I, it, it could, I, I finished actually after worship on Sunday. I thought, yeah, I could have used a good edit. Um, <laughs> but I trust that God will do something Amen. with yeah. it and I can also learn from it at the same time. But um, yeah, I mean, they're always... Uh, and having said that, yeah, there are other um, connections for me that come to mind. Yeah. Uh, and, and I will say this in passing, that when I was in high school, we had a guest Sunday school teacher, a couple guest Sunday school teachers in my high school Sunday school class, and they read to us some of the stories about the Desert Fathers and Mothers. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away. Yeah. And it was, and it came at a point in my life when I was really kind of asking, well, how do we follow Jesus today? Mm. How do we do what the first disciples did? They just left everything and followed Jesus. I can't do that. Mm. Uh, you know, so what do we do? How do we do that? And then they started reading these stories about these ancient men and women who like walked out into the desert. It was the first thing I'd run across outside the Bible that looked and sounded and felt like the Bible. Mm. And so that's what was so powerful. And they were so like deep and perceptive and merciful and gracious. And I, I, I felt like, oh, okay. So there's some people outside the Bible who actually looked like Jesus oh, yeah. and loved like Jesus. And so that became very compelling to me. And so that's why in my own kind of journey, I find myself periodically going back to the Desert Fathers yeah. and Mothers, wanting to read what they said, read stories about them, um, learn more about them just because they seem relevant. We could do like a whole podcast episode on this because I, I mean the, the, the mystics and the desert fathers and mothers, the, the Beguines, which I learned about when I was doing Mm. my doctoral research was were medieval women who started a, a, an order, if you will, that had no rule of life, but was very contextual to wherever mm. they were. And it was a movement of people that intersected every everyday yeah. society. Anyway, we could spend we could spend a whole podcast, at least episode on the Desert Fathers and Mothers and these mm. movement of, of, of everyday people yeah. that, that sought to live the life of Christ, the life of the apostles. Um, thank you for this message. Sure. I think it was um, very powerful and has a lot to say about the hope that we have mm. um, that's in front of us. In the future that God prefers for all of us. So thank you. Thank you. Y'all have a great week. <laughs>